It's powerful to sing those words. When I interviewed a few folks about their experiences with creeds, many of them said, well, I've never said the creed, but we've sung it before. It's interesting that that introduced us. You notice in liturgical churches, there's a lot of stand-up, sit-down, right? We're going to get a little hamstring workout this three months, so I hope you're prepared for stand-up, sit-down. There's something that happens when we worship with our bodies, I think. The posture of standing, the, the, the posture of kneeling. We're not going to ask you to, to kneel, not everyone anyway, but uh, there's something that happens with our bodies when we worship physically, when we do something in worship that, that forms us when we actually act it out. So our text comes from today, the letter to the Romans, chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, and I'm going to ask you to stand in honor of God's Word, if you're able to this morning, as I read these two verses from Romans. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may have a seat. And now if you'll stand, I'm just kidding. No, you can sit now for the duration here. You know, sometime during the course of my senior year at Belmont University, I discerned that the Lord was leading me to apply for admission to Beeson Divinity School at Samford, not Stanford, Samford University. They have shirts now that say Sam, not Stan, they're great, Um, in Birmingham, Alabama, which is where I met Robert and Wendy, of course, and their boys. And as part of the application process, there were several pieces that I had to submit. I had to submit, you know, academic transcripts. Turn around, the choir's not there. I was going to talk to them. They're they're gone. had to submit a personal faith narrative. I I had to, uh, you know, submit a pastoral recommendation, a church recommendation, a collegiate recommendation, all of which I was okay with. I said, that shouldn't be too hard to to put all those things together, and I'm sure I can find someone who will recommend me to, to Beeson to get in. But the last piece freaked me out a little bit. The last piece that I had to submit was an essay, and the prompt for the entire essay said something like, write uh, a four-page essay interacting with the Apostles' Creed. That was it. That was the whole prompt. I think the form actually had listed the Apostles' Creed for those of us who needed to know what that was. Uh, That was helpful that they did that for us. I remember thinking, great, you know, my, my future here depends on this essay on the creed that I don't even know what it is. I haven't had any significant interaction with the creed, so that's going to be a real short essay, I guess. You know, I'd probably heard the creed uh, maybe once or twice at um, an Episcopal church down the road from here that I attended a couple of times in college. And at the time, I was dating a, a good Methodist girl, and her brother Blake's here today with his wife, Elizabeth, and they, they're good Methodist folks, and they say the creed every Sunday in their worship service, and Morgan knew it by heart. Uh, but for me, as a lifelong Baptist, I, I didn't have any history with the creed, so I started Googling Apostles' Creed and trying to learn all I could about it to pretend like I had some clue that, uh, about what I was writing about here in the Apostles' Creed. And I guess it worked, because after moving to Birmingham and starting classes at Beeson, I soon 
came to realize that the Apostles' Creed is a, it's a big deal at, at Beeson. We said the creed, we stood and, and would recite it every week in our chapel services on Tuesday mornings, and professors would refer to the Apostles' Creed as a regula fide, okay, a rule of faith. That's the Latin phrase, rule of faith. Not a rule like no running, no talking, not a rule like that, but a rule like a ruler, like a, a measure. A regular fide is a measure of what we believe. It's the ruler by which we can examine our beliefs, our faith. We needed this at Beeson because Beeson's not a Baptist school, even though it is at Samford. Beeson is an interdenominational evangelical seminary. We had students and professors from all kinds of faith traditions and backgrounds. We had Anglicans, we had Presbyterians, both PCA and PCUSA. We had uh, African Methodist Episcopals, a lot of good AME folks there. And I was exposed to the richness of the many diverse streams of the Christian faith. It was awesome. I, I loved getting exposed uh, to all these different aspects of Christianity that really got me outside of my little Baptist bubble that I had grown up in. I loved learning and worshiping alongside of brothers and sisters from these diverse backgrounds. But with all that wonderful diversity, it was necessary to have a, a rule, to have a, a measure that we could all agree on as the parameters for what we believe as Christians. What unite, united us all as Christians was within these parameters. And the rule of faith at Beeson is the Apostles' Creed. It sets the boundaries for what's considered orthodox Christian beliefs. When I say orthodox, I don't mean like Eastern Orthodox, like the Greek Orthodox down the road or the uh, you know, Russian Orthodox. Orthodox literally just means right beliefs, right beliefs. You may say, okay, great. What does all this have to do with Woodmont? This is getting a little didactic, Nathan. What's the, what's the point here for me in our current time? Why does the creed matter today? Well, I'm, I'm convinced that orthodoxy leads to orthopraxy. Right beliefs must come before right practice. If we don't get our doctrine right, we're not going to get our practice right either. I've seen a lot of churches that are struggling to figure out what they should be doing, right? How do they reach more people in their community? How do they make an impact on the world? How do they gain new members? And, and how do they add to their fellowship at their church? And a lot of churches are struggling in these areas, and I think that it's because a lot of them are lacking a clearly defined understanding of what it is that they really believe, what it is that is at the core of their faith as a community. I think a lot of churches lack a robust commitment to classic Christian orthodoxy. A healthy church has right beliefs and knows what those beliefs are. And it is those beliefs that compel a healthy church to do the right things. And the things that a church should be doing, like worship, like evangelism, like discipleship, like fellowship, and like ministry. Orthodoxy could simply be described as the things that all Christians, at all times, in all places, have believed throughout history. The things that all Christians in all places, in all times, have believed to be true. 
once someone makes a statement that is outside of those parameters, it doesn't meet that criteria, they have left the bounds of what we call orthodoxy. I will occasionally hear, you know, authors or bloggers or even pastors or church leaders who say something like, I have a new understanding of this doctrine, or I have a new interpretation of this text of scripture. And I, I usually hear that and say, oh, really? Then it's probably not right if it's something new that you came up with. Jude, not my Jude, looks up at me. No, not you. Jude, the brother of Jesus, who was a leader in the early church in Jerusalem and who wrote the letter Jude that we have today in our Bible, wrote this letter warning against false doctrines that were outside the boundaries of orthodoxy. Look at Jude 3 and 4. It'll be on the screens. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. The faith that was once for all delivered to the saints, the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Christian orthodoxy had already been settled by the time that Jude writes this letter, even though the New Testament canon hasn't been settled, but orthodoxy had been settled. It had been once delivered. But people have been twisting it. They'd been perverting it, it says. They'd been saying that grace was a, a license to just indulge the sinful nature, and they denied the lordship of Jesus Christ then. You know, the, the Christian faith it says that if it was once delivered, one time, through Jesus Christ and his word. That means that no new revelation is authoritative, right? The authority comes from the scriptures that were once delivered, the faith that was already set. It's tough, isn't it, in a rapidly changing world to cling to an ancient set of beliefs that don't change, isn't it? When our world changes, it's, it would be so much easier for us to say, let's just change with the world. Let's just do what the culture's doing because it would really make things so much simpler and so much easier for us as a church. But I think not, not only is it a, a hard thing to cling to ancient beliefs that don't change, but it's a good thing. In, in a world that is shifting sand, we have a firm foundation that Nate just played and, and we sang about as well. You know, it, it, the orthodox beliefs that we have keep us from turning to either the left or to the right. Keeps us focused, like Rachel was talking about with the kids. It keeps us from falling for false doctrines, for lies that lead to only death and destruction. Only orthodoxy will lead to orthopraxy, and orthopraxy will lead to flourishing, to thriving as God intended for us to in the abundant life that he came to bring us. There was a local pastor uh, down the road here, I'm not going to say who, but he wrote a book a couple years ago that raised a lot of controversy. It was in the paper and people were freaking out about it. The title of the book was, What's the Least I Can Believe and Still Be a Christian? What's the least I can believe and still be a Christian? Sounds bad, right? Okay, I know 
the, the publisher knew this was going to be controversial, and I guess all press is good press when you're trying to sell books, I guess, but bear with me for a second. I, I sort of admire what this guy was doing, okay? I, I think at, at best, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt here, perhaps this pastor was just trying to clarify essential Christian doctrine, to distill the Christian faith down to the basics, the foundational aspects, the core of what it is that we believe as Christians. What is it that really makes us Christians? What makes us Christians? It's not how we vote. It's not even how we behave. It's not even the fact that we attend church. I've heard it said that, you know, just because you're in a garage doesn't make you a car, right? Just because you're in church doesn't make you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is the belief that you hold deep in your heart of hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he has died for your sins, that he is coming back to finish the work of redemption that he started 2,000 years ago. Maybe you're still on the fence about this whole creed thing. You're still not convinced yet, Nathan. I don't know. I was raised to to be skeptical about creeds. You know, Baptists have never been a creedal people. As part of my research for my dissertation, I conducted these interviews, like I was saying, with a few folks in our church, and a lot of them mentioned that they were raised to be suspicious of any creed, that creeds were too formal, or maybe too Catholic, too Roman Catholic, too coercive. They force us to believe something. I've heard it said by many evangelicals, no creed but the Bible. You heard that before? No creed but the Bible. I'm sure all of our members here are very familiar with our church bylaws. I'm sure you have a copy probably in your nightstand and you read them quite often and you know all our bylaws. You'll know that it says in the opening lines of our bylaws, it has five guiding principles. And the fourth guiding principle is that this church shall not adopt or enforce any creed. <laughs> Yikes. Before you call for my resignation, uh, let's just bear with me, hear me out, okay? Let me try to make a case for creeds, okay? I told my brother-in-law, I was like, oh, good, you may be here for what's my, maybe my last Sunday. <laughs> first off, I, I firmly agree with the first guiding principle in our bylaws, okay? The first, as you know, the first bylaw is that the Holy Scriptures of the Old and New Testament are our sole authority for faith and practice. No creed that is written by humans has any authority over us, okay? I'm not saying this is authoritative. The Word of God is authoritative. We can disagree on creeds. We can even disagree on certain doctrines and, and, and still be Christians. That's fine, but we all must submit ourselves under the authority of the written word of God, the Holy Scriptures. The Bible is, is really the ultimate regula fide. Before I said at Beeson, the Apostles' Creed was the regula fide, the, the measure of faith, but really it's, it's the Bible. The Bible is the ultimate regula fide. It is the rule of faith for all Christians, okay? Second thing, a creed is simply a statement of beliefs. The, the word creed comes from Latin, credo, which means I believe. We actually have a creed on our church website currently. Most healthy churches do. 
Andy Morris, our, our gifted uh, communications director, has designed a, a, a beautiful website for us. And right under the About tab on our homepage, the very first item that pops up is what we believe. What we believe. And it's a statement of classic Christian doctrines that I tried to make as accessible and as accurate as possible for, for guests. It's, it's not new or controversial for Baptists to have a written statement of what we believe. We've had a lot of Baptist theologians over the years who have helped write statements about what we believe. In 1925, there was a group that was commissioned by the Southern Baptist Convention to write down a statement of what we believe. That document has become the, known as the Baptist Faith and Message. You can Google it. I'm sure you have a copy next to your bylaws in your nightstand if you, if you don't. And it was, it was published as, it said this was the reason, quote, it, it's a reaffirmation of Christian fundamentals. We needed to remember what's the main thing here. Third, any good creed, any helpful statement of beliefs should be based 100% in Scripture. Our staff was talking about the what we believe section uh, on our website, and I said, what do you guys think? Should we have scripture references in it or, or not? And Trey said, absolutely. We need scripture references after any doctrinal statement that you're making. You need to show that it comes from the Word of God. So there are 66 different biblical references, I counted, that are listed to back up each statement on our website that we make about doctrine. I thought that was cool, 66 books in the Bible, 66 Bible references here. It's not from each book, but uh, it is a, a, a neat thing that happened. The Apostles' Creed is, is really simply, at its base level, it's a summary of the key doctrines of the Christian faith that are found in the Bible. I'm, I'm not going to be preaching from the Creed each week. I'm still going to be preaching from the Bible each and every week. It's all I know how to do. Fourth. I've heard godly, smart people say, no creed but the Bible, but I've also heard godly, smart people say that to say no creed but the Bible is itself unbiblical. I'm not going to go that far, but it is clear that there are statements of belief in Scripture. You know, when I was doing these interviews, I asked a question, what are the essential doctrines of our faith? What are the key, core doctrines of the Christian faith? And you know what I got? I got statements back like the Ten Commandments, the Great Commission, the, the, the two great commandments to love God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind, all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Those are creedal statements in Scripture, right? Look at uh, what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4. Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures." Sounds an awful lot like a creed to me. Paul says these things are of first importance, that Christ died for our sins just like the Hebrew Bible told us would happen, the Messiah, the perfect 
spotless lamb of God whose blood would cause death to pass over us. And then the Messiah was buried and raised again on the third day, just like scripture foretold. That's the heart of the gospel, right? That God forged a way for us to be redeemed and made new and to bring this world back to himself by taking our sin, by taking our shame, by taking our guilt upon his only son on the cross, and then rising again, reversing the curse of death, the power of sin, that death is working backwards now. That's a creedal statement that Paul is making here in the Bible. Why? Why does Paul want them to know this? Because what we believe matters greatly. That we have orthodox beliefs matters greatly. In fact, I would say that what we believe has life and death consequences. It's that serious. Look at our text again for today, Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Our very salvation has to do with what we believe according to this verse. How are we saved? By grace through faith, right? Ephesians 2, verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Grace, grace is the undeserved, unmerited, unearned favor of God. Okay, what is faith? Hebrews 11 tells us, it says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So salvation comes from trusting completely, being totally assured that the grace of God can do what we could not do ourselves, that the unmerited favor of God can attain salvation for us when we were hopeless on our own and stuck in a pit. You know, Isaiah's at this fun age right now. He's two. Y'all got to see him when he comes up from the nursery today. You're going to, he's at a, 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 it's a fun stage, but it's a terrifying stage. You know what I mean? Like Morgan took him to the pool like a month ago and he just jumped in, you know, no floaties, no nothing, just jumped right in. Trey said, that's cool. Like I did that as a kid and you know, he's a good swimmer now. Uh, but yesterday, even on the steps, when we're going down our garage steps at our back door, He'll just fling himself off the steps towards me, no matter what is in my hands, no matter if I'm looking or not, he'll just jump and say, jump, and he jumps off, you know, three or four steps, and I, you know, panic and turn around and try to, I haven't dropped him yet, but I figure it's a matter of time, you know, but that's, that reminds me of faith, right? That when we say that we believe that Jesus can actually make us as, as broken and as sinful as, as we have been, when we trust that he can make us right with God, we're throwing ourselves into his arms, trusting him completely to catch us. And that inner belief, that trust in our heart of hearts that we feel deep down in our souls must be expressed outwardly. That's what the creed is all about. How do we express our belief? By telling the world. When we baptize someone here at Woodmont, we always ask them, what is your confession? What do you proclaim to the world? What do you say to be true about the things that matter most? And they answer, Jesus Christ is Lord. 
That means Jesus is ultimate. That means he's in charge of their heart and of their life and their body and their soul now and forever. They've died to themselves and it's no longer them who live but Christ who lives through them. They're a new creation. The outward confession that, that they utter now springs from an inner reality, the inner belief, the inner conviction that Jesus Christ is their Savior, their Master, and their Lord for all eternity. There's something extremely powerful about confessing our beliefs, isn't there? When we recite the Apostles' Creed together, I think we're reenacting Romans 10, 9, and 10. We're, we're expressing verbally what we believe in our hearts to be true. We're reenacting our baptism in a way when we confessed to the church that Jesus is Lord. We're doing that over again. We're confessing with our mouths once again what we know in our hearts to be true, that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he died for our sins, that he defeated death and sin. That's the first thing that happens when we recite the creed together. We're reenacting Romans 10. Here's four other things just briefly that I believe happen when we gather and when we stand together and recite our beliefs in the creed. The second thing is that we become accountable to one another all over again. If you hear me saying that I believe these things but my life doesn't match up with these truths, then I am in error and you are in a, a, a situation where you have a chance to correct what's going on. When you hear me say the creed, I, I become a steward of those beliefs. Will I be a good steward showing the world the greatness of the God who has revealed these truths to me by Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit? Or will I be a poor steward, living as if I didn't actually believe these things in my heart of hearts? The third thing is that we're reminded of our fellowship. These common beliefs that we share make us family. They make us closer than family. We share a common faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. We share in the communion of saints that we talked about in the creed. That connects us in, in profound spiritual ways through the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that lives in me, that lives in you if you're a child of God. Fourth thing that happens, we're preaching the gospel to ourselves and to each other. I heard Scotty Smith, the pastor at Christ Community in Franklin for, for many years, I heard him say that he had to preach the gospel to himself every day. And, and that's just stayed in my heart. I've been practicing that every day, reminding myself of the gospel. I need to, to hear these truths, that God is a good, good father, that he's almighty, that he sent his only son to take our place and pay the debt that we couldn't have paid, that he's coming back to finish the work of redeeming this broken world, that we are now the body of Christ, universal, that our sins have been forgiven, that death is not the end. I need to hear those things. Thank you for telling me that today. Finally, fifth thing, we, we refocus on what matters. I stole some of Rachel's outline there. We refocus on what matters. It's so easy to get distracted and bogged down by the the worries of the world, by our, our work, by our families. I know you all have a lot going on in your lives. I do too. This world is full of, of hardships and trials. And even spiritually, we can get distracted with peripheral issues that don't really matter. The creed reminds us of what is of 
first importance, as Paul put it. When we recite the creed, we're, we're gaining a proper perspective. We're realigning our understanding of the world in a correct perspective. This makes us wise, right? When you know the main things, it helps you navigate life in a wise way that is productive for the kingdom of God. So I hope you'll go with us on this journey over these next two and a half months. I really invite you to examine what it is that you really believe in your heart of hearts. Do you believe these things are true? I want you to to imagine what matters most in life the things that are most important to you, of first importance. And then I invite you to confess with us all together that we believe that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for revealing to us these truths that we now confess together. God, I thank you for the the rule of faith that you've left us, the written revelation of yourself. God, I pray that you would help us to hold these beliefs with humility, not braggadociously or arrogantly, God, but that we would hold them with humility, but that we would also stand firmly on them, the firm foundation. God, our world is changing so quickly. Technology is advancing faster than it ever has before. The the political divisions that have ruptured this nation, God, the, the, the anger, the vitriol that we hear on every side of arguments, God, remind us that we stand not on a political platform of shifting sand, but we stand on the firm foundation of classic Christian orthodoxy that will never change, that is true yesterday, today, and forever. God, help us to plant Woodmont Baptist Church squarely in the firm foundation of these truths of Scripture so that we will be able to stand firm when culture continues to change around us. Again, God, we we don't want to stand firm so that we can fight culture or so that we can Uh, engage in some kind of culture war, God, but we want to be a prophetic minority who speaks truth into a world that needs it. Not for our sake, God, but for your sake and others' sake and for the sake of your kingdom. God, help us to stand firm on the firm foundation that we confess with our mouths what we believe deep in our hearts that you have saved us. We love you. We pray this in the high and holy name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I mentioned before that what we believe shapes us. It changes our hearts. So we're going to sing now, Change My Heart, Oh God, these beliefs that affect us in in heart-changing, life-changing ways. If you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you feel the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart and you're ready to make that decision, I'd love to talk with you about what that looks like today. If you want to join Woodmont Baptist Church as part of our family of faith here, we're not perfect, and guess what? You're not either, and uh, we invite you to come and talk to us about what it looks like to be a member of Woodmont Baptist Church. Maybe you just want to come to the altar and pray. Uh, I'm going to ask Trey and Sarah Collier if y'all will come up here and and stand. If you want to pray with with one of these two prayer warriors, uh, 
I invite you to come do that, or if you just want to come kneel and pray, uh, maybe you need healing physically, emotionally, mentally, whatever it may be uh, today, and you just want to pray about that, that's fine too. Whatever your decision it is today, I pray that you would not leave this place without having dealt with the Lord. Let's stand and sing, change my heart, oh God.